Like my lovely wife said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be with us for the first time or the second time. And of course, I don't want to leave out anybody. If you're just here and you're always here, uh, welcome as well. Special welcome to anybody who might also be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, let me just begin. Today I'm continuing a sermon series that I started several weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling Epic Fail. Epic Fail. And our instincts, as we've talked about over the last several weeks, is to study success stories, right? Particularly in the West. We love a good success story. We'll buy up the best-selling book. We'll listen to their podcast. We'll go to their seminar. And I think there is wisdom in studying success. But I have learned, as I said a couple times before, that there is great wisdom in studying failure. My father used to always tell me that a wise man learns from the mistakes of others so that you, will make, uh, you won't make the same mistakes. At least you'll be making different mistakes. And so I have found it helpful, dare I say, necessary to study the failures of others, particularly because I don't want to fail in those ways if I can avoid it. And so we've engaged in this series called Epic Fail so that we can look through the pages of Scripture and look at folks who didn't quite get it right. Look at people who, who failed or who, who lost in major ways and find what lessons we can learn and apply to our own lives. And what we've been saying over the last few weeks is that the, you'll get the most out of this series if you apply it to yourself first, right? Our instincts is to say, oh, surely she, she should hear this. Or Bobby, he can really use this. Not, our, not you, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> but I think this works best if you first try to hear what the Spirit might be saying through these messages to you in this particular stage of your life. And once you work through your own stuff, then maybe you might send the link to somebody else so they might listen to it. Amen? Amen. Epic fail. And so, so far we've been in the Old Testament. We looked at the Old Testament character, Uzzah, who because of his indifference and casualness concerning the things of God, reached out to steady the ark of God. When he wasn't supposed to touch it, God struck him dead. And he was a lesson for us, right? To not deal casually with the things of God. Ben Hare was here from the Peoria Vineyard a couple weeks ago, and he talked about uh, King David. And how all the things that King David done well, one of the things that goes unnoticed is that King David was an epic failure as a father. And yet, despite his failure, God is able to redeem him and see him as a man made in his image and likeness, a man after his own heart. My dear wife did a fantastic job last week as she talked to us about the Old Testament character, Nabal, who was a fool and his foolishness roped all of his friends and family into, you know, fixing things and going cleaning up behind him. And we were urged not to be fools and we were urged to be self-aware and we were urged to be wise in that way. Uh, Nabal's foolishness ultimately cost him his life. Today we turn the page into the New Testament and we look at the character Zacchaeus. Now, if you've been around church for a while, if you've gone to Sunday school, maybe VBS, you've read the story or heard the story or read poems or seen plays about Zacchaeus. But what we know about Zacchaeus, if we look at his life, is that he was a bit of a failure. He's a bit of a loser. And failure and loserness, if we can just make up a word on the spot, can seem like a title that sort of attaches itself to you and, and walks with you throughout your life. It seems so final. It seems so definite. 
And I love Zacchaeus' story because it proves to us that failure isn't final. And you don't have to remain a loser, particularly if you know Jesus. And so I love Zacchaeus' story, and as I studied this over the last couple of weeks, I was able to see it with fresh eyes, and I think his story fits well into this epic failure series. I think his story might speak to us today in very specific ways, but I've also come to learn that there's, an, as there's a Zacchaeus in just about every room. And I realize that in a, in a room this size and with our listening audience on, on the podcast, there's got to be a Zacchaeus listening today, and it's not coincidental that you're here, or it's not coincidental that you're listening today, because I believe that God wants to change your life, change your trajectory, change your story, change the label that has been attached to your name as we work through this text this morning. I've simply called this message, Zacchaeus, the loser. Zacchaeus, the loser. I want to look at a passage of scripture today in Luke chapter 19. Would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning? Luke chapter 19. There are Bibles, by the way, on some of the edges of your rows. Feel free to use that Bible as we walk through the text today. Also, feel free to interact with the text through your mobile devices, or through your phones or tablets. I'm not at all offended if you have those out. It is, after all, 2019. And we'll also be projecting the words on the screens as we read through today. Luke chapter 19, while you find that, let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that failure in your eyes is not final. And that the labels that we might put on ourselves or the labels that our circumstances or choices might put on us come falling off when we encounter you. And so, Father, I pray for those here today who wonder if they're even worthy enough to be in your house, if they're welcome among the saints. Uh, Lord, I pray that the radical welcome of your kingdom would envelop them in this moment, this moment, and that they might be able to hear, receive, and respond to what you would say. Father, will you help us to understand there's a little bit of Zacchaeus in all of us, and may we have ears to hear eyes to see what you want to show us today. Come, Holy Spirit, put power on these words you've given me to speak. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Luke chapter 19, I'm going to start at verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement Enjoy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to his home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those 
who are lost. For the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save those who are lost. I wonder if there are any Zacchaeuses here today. Say that three times real quick. Or somebody that might identify with this brother and his powerful story of redemption. The text tells us in verse 2 that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and because of his position and because of the opportunities afforded him by his position, he had become very rich. He had a whole lot of money. But despite his position and despite his wealth, we also know that Zacchaeus was still failing at what mattered most. He was failing at his relationship with God, and he was failing in his relationships with people. I'll say that again. Despite his wealth, despite his position, Zacchaeus was a failure at life because he, like many of us, while we might experience success in certain realms of life, in this particular corner of our life, in this particular segment of our life, many of us are failing at what matters most. You say, preacher, how do I know what matters most? We go to the scriptures. Young man comes to Jesus, says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What can I do with my life that would please God? What can I do with my life that would satisfy God? And Jesus replies, simple, I'm paraphrasing, do with your life what you were created to do. Use your life to do what the architect of your life had in mind. Simply put, love God, love people. Love God, love people. And it seems to me that what Zacchaeus had chosen to do with his life is very vocation. What he spent perhaps most of his waking moments doing was something that put him at odds with God and with people. And in that classic sense, Zacchaeus was failing. And I want to highlight three things this morning because I know many of us can relate to this that might help us understand how Jesus can take our failure, particularly when we're failing at what matters most, how Jesus can take that failure and turn it around. In order to see that, we have to dissect a few things about this text. The first thing I want to look at is Zacchaeus's specific failure. It might be hard to see his failure because we've been looking at people who had sort of, fail, sort of events of failure, right? Uzzah was walking along, and in this event, this thing happened, and he failed, and it cost him his life, and we learned this great lesson. Many of the failures that we see play out in the newspaper, on the news, in our friendship circle. Somebody has an affair, blows up their family. Somebody you know, gets into financial ruin, or they make a trouble. There's an event that happens that blows things up, and we can point to that as an event of failure, well, Zacchaeus' life is a little bit different. Like, his whole situation is messed up. Like, his every waking day is a failure. He's losing at life. 
And I think that some of us can relate because while life might be ticking along and there are no pronounced instances of failure, no epic moments of failure that somebody can point to and say, and on this day I failed really terribly, on that day this thing happened, you would just get up every morning and just feel like a loser. And there's an undercurrent of failure and disappointment and dissatisfaction going through your life. And typically it's the case that it's because uh, we've made choices. We've given ourselves over to things. We've allowed things to wrap itself around our life through our choices, and it becomes who we are. It becomes our identity. And this, my friends, is what I believe Zacchaeus' failure is. To put it more plainly, I believe that Zacchaeus had sold his soul, to use a very common figure of speech. I say that because there is no good reason, there's no noble reason to become a tax collector. Now, you have to divorce this particular you know, kind of tax collecting from what we experience today. You know, those of us who work for the IRS, like that's, that's noble work. Nobody likes the IRS, but that's noble work. Somebody's got to collect the taxes. But in the first century, tax collecting had a different flavor to it. Esau McCulley uh, is the assistant professor uh, of New Testament at Wheaton College, and he describes tax collecting uh, in the first century in this way. He says, business was booming in the first century. Rome had territory to conquer and an empire to maintain. It funded the empire by taxing conquered people groups, including Jews, in the first century. He continues, rather than collect the money themselves, the Romans engaged in something called tax farming. That meant that they would sell the collecting contract to the highest bidder, who would then collect the taxes. Tax collectors profited from the economic exploitation of their own people. They had money, but it was dirty money. It was despised work, and for that reason, these tax collectors were shunned by their own people. So imagine Rome, an occupying government, taking over some place and taxing the people who were there. And rather than taxing the people, who, uh, taxing the people themselves, they would pick people from this country, their fellow countrymen, say, hey, you work for us now. You collect these taxes from these people. Hey, you can take as much as you want as long as we get our cut. Now, would you want to see this guy coming? If you saw him in the market, would you go shake his hand? Would you lean over the back fence and have a casual conversation with somebody who would shake you down and who lived lavishly and grew fat? At the expense of his own countrymen, would you like that guy? You probably wouldn't, which is why whenever you hear of a tax collector in, in Scripture, the word despised is just a few words away. This was Zacchaeus. Now, if you would just stumbled upon, you know, Zacchaeus' Facebook page, you would see probably a nice house, probably see him dressed real nice. You saw, probably see, you probably wouldn't be able to discern that he's failing in life. But if you knew him, if you knew him, you would think this guy is a scoundrel. His life's work is unethical. His life's work is at odds with God. And his life's work disrupts the lives of people. There were enormous social costs to Zacchaeus' life's work. 
His name meant nothing. He had no integrity. And when people murmured his name, they could not say a kind word. There were also enormous spiritual costs. He's making a willful decision to enrich himself with ill-gotten gain. His life was at odds with God. And in being at odds with God and being at odds with people, Zacchaeus is failing because he's at odds with his purpose. You understand what I'm saying? This was his failure. It wasn't an event. It was his life. And some of you feel this way, that your life is failure, that you are, in a classic sense, a loser. He had decided that regardless of what it cost him, he was going to do this because of the money, because of the power, right? Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? What do you gain if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And then he asks in a rhetorical question, is there anything worth more than your soul? I love how Jesus puts this. He says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world, all the trappings of this world, success, Fame, money, good looks, the whole deal. What does it matter if you gain all of that and you lose your soul in the process? And this was Zacchaeus' failure. He had put all of his egg, all the eggs of his life into the basket of this one decision, his vocation. He was climbing the ladder, yes, but at some point he realized that he had the ladder leaned up against the wrong wall. And as such, he was a failure. And before we shake our heads at Zacchaeus, you already know what I'm going to say. You already know. This is, we're looking into a mirror today, right? This is us. We are Zacchaeus. You might not be a wicked tax collector shaking down your neighbors, but you might have put all your eggs in your vocation. You might be worshiping your relationships or your kids or your spouse. You might find yourself consumed with a besetting sin or an addiction. You might even consume uh, ministry and put ministry as the thing that is most important in your life. Some hobby, maybe it's vanity or beauty or your social life, maybe something other than what God has intended to be primary in your life is primary, and you might wake up one day and find that your ladder, though you're climbing it, is up against the wrong wall. The costs are enormous, and yet still here we are every day doing the same things like Zacchaeus. But if we look at this story, based on Zacchaeus' actions, we might be able to deduce that he is starting to maybe recognize that there's something's off, right? Sure, he's rich. Sure, he's got money. But something tells me he's no fool. Something tells me he knows how people look at him, right? Something tells me he knows that something's not quite right. And based on his actions, he's heard Jesus is going to be in town, and he goes running and looking. He's kind of a short guy, so he can't quite see, right? 
climbs up a tree, and I believe that Zacchaeus starts to, to, to recognize his need for something else. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us that. This is just conjecture, but something tells me Zacchaeus goes after Jesus in search of something because I feel that this gentleman, like us, is in need. The second thing I want to look at is in this story today is his need. We examined his failure. We've talked about his problem, his issue. But what does this loser, what does this failure need? Well, he needs the same thing you and I need. He needs an encounter with Jesus. He needs an encounter with Jesus. And if somebody were to come up to you and ask you, hey, what's your problem? What do you think you need the most? Some of us say, if I just had a few more dollars, right? If I just had a better job, if I just get a better spouse or maybe some different kid, just, right? I know none of you would ever say that out loud. But what I've found that what we need most is a real, a real encounter with Jesus. You know, because this, this is the only way he can get his life back if he's ever had it to begin with, an encounter with Jesus. And why, friends, is an encounter with Jesus so important, especially if you're a failure, especially if you're a loser, or at least that's the label that you carry, or if that's the label that others have put on you? Why is an encounter with Jesus so important, so necessary? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus knows the difference between a loser and somebody who's simply losing at the moment. I'll say that again. Jesus, and sometimes only Jesus, knows the difference between somebody who's a loser and somebody who just happens to be losing at the moment. Only Jesus knows the real difference between a failure, seems so final, doesn't it? And someone who just happens to be failing at the moment. And some of you haven't had an encounter with Jesus and so just because you're failing right now, you've let others and perhaps even yourself call you, call you a failure. Because you haven't had an encounter with Jesus or you haven't sat with him in a while, you've determined that your failure is final rather than you just like failing right now. And so what Jesus sees is the scoreboard. And he not only takes you know, a look at the score, but he, he also sees that there's, there's more time on the clock. And you, you, you want to know how you can tell if you are a loser or if you just you know, are losing at the moment? You want to know how you can tell if you're a failure or if you just happen to be failing at the moment? Let's all take what I call the loser test, shall we? Let's take it. Pay attention. Very sophisticated test. This is how you're going to be able to determine whether or not you're a loser or you're just losing at the moment. Ready? Just taking a breath. You just completed the loser test. If you are able to take a breath, that means there's more time on the clock. Now, don't feel like you got too much time because you might not be able to take a breath tomorrow. But you just, you just saw what God sees. You say, hey, preacher, I know the time clock is very important, but maybe you didn't see the score. 
I'm losing 100 to zero. And to that, I would say, hey, we got, we got LeBron. <laughs> or maybe you don't like LeBron. We got Steph. Yeah. <laughs> we got Tom Brady. We got, tra- <laughs> no, we got Trubisky, everybody. We got Trubisky. No? Okay. We got Jesus. Right? And, and, and Jesus, much like the superstars, they do their best work. They do their best work when the score is behind. They're, his strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? He, he's the comeback king. In fact, Jesus loves lost causes. He loves people who folks have written off. He does his best work. And I believe that I'm on assignment this morning to come and talk to those of you who might consider yourself a loser. Those of you who might consider yourself a failure. We're realists here. We can be honest. The situation doesn't look good. The score is atrocious. But there is yet time on the clock. And you might be losing right now. You might be failing right now. But we have hope because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. When Jesus came by, verse 5, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Only Jesus can invite himself to somebody else's house. Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, who are the people? Church folks, you, me, They didn't like this. They were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus, of all the people who are clamoring for your attention and for your affection, who just want a little bit of time with you, surely when you roll into town, you will find some righteous person to sit with. Surely when you roll into town, you might run by the temple and spend a little time with the priest, sit down and talk about heavenly, holy things. Lord, with your few precious moments, it is, it is confounding how of all the people that you would find in the town, you go to old Zacchaeus. Go to that loser. Go to that failure. Jesus was drawn to Zacchaeus because as Zacchaeus was ready, he was interested. And I've learned as a pastor, as a kingdom guy, to look out for folks who are hanging out in trees. Just trying to get a peek at Jesus. Just trying to peek in the window of the kingdom. Just see what's happening in there. They heard something. Maybe they're dissatisfied with their life. Maybe they woke up to the fact that they're not quite winning, that they're failing that they're losing, that there's more to this life than what they had leaned the ladder of their life up against. There's more to life. Maybe they saw something in your life that made them curious. Maybe they read something in a book, saw something on TV, saw some post on Facebook, and now they're curious, and now they're up in the tree because they heard that Jesus was coming back. Who's in the trees around you? Listen, don't be these guys. Don't be these guys. 
Because if these people were with it, they would have crowd-surfed Zacchaeus over to Jesus. Lord, sit with him so he can stop shaking us down every month. (laughs) Zacchaeus, you're not going anywhere today. Jesus is coming. You better be there. Whatever we got, we got to get you an Uber. Whatever we got to do, you need to see Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. Sadly, friends, that's not how it is. And some of you are here today, you're modern-day Zacchaeuses, and you've gone to churches, and you've gotten that look. That look that says, what are you doing here? Or you checked in at a service somewhere, and somebody thought, what, they go to church? Why are they going to church? And some of you have felt the cold shoulder of folks who are supposed to be about what Jesus is about. And if you felt that, as you've darkened the door of a Christian church, let me apologize on behalf of my co-workers. It's not supposed to be that way. Heaven and earth should rejoice when a lost brother or sister comes home because this is the hospital. And it's just stupid to assume that you got to clean yourself up before you go to the hospital. No, I'm dying. Let me just get well a little bit. Then I'll go to the hospital. Let me, let me fix myself up a little bit. Then I'll go and get help. No, this is, this is a hospital. This is an ER. Come broken. Come weary. Come tired. Come with your shame and in your sin because that's who we were when we came here. Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, church folks, but those who know they are sinners. And something tells me. Maybe he didn't put all the pieces together, but Zacchaeus knew something about him needed to connect with something within Jesus. And surely he couldn't have imagined that Jesus would call him down and come to his house, but all he wanted was just a peek. Because this is what he needed. You know of any modern-day Zacchaeuses? I know one. Why don't you put that picture up, please? Kanye West. Accomplished, award-winning artist. More money than he can spend. Fame beyond the globe recently announced that he is now a born-again Christian, that he's written off secular music, he's come to Jesus, and just a few days ago, on Friday, he released his first Christian album called Jesus is King, and everybody's talking about it. He said, I'm not talking about it. Everybody else is talking about it. <laughs> it's modern-day Zacchaeus, not a tax collector, But by many Christians' uh, account, they would consider Kanye West a notorious sinner, known for his foul foul and explicit lyrics that you wouldn't necessarily want your kids, much less your teenagers, much less your ears to hear, your holy ears. Married to a Kardashian. Look at (laughs) ooh. 
And as it relates to the African-American community, his own countrymen, if we could use that expression, he's been at odds with black folks, as he's pictured here in a Make America a Great Again hat. He's taken a liking to President Trump. He's made insensitive remarks about slavery being a choice, among other things, a modern-day Zacchaeus. Not to mention he's been struggling lately with strange and erratic behavior, classic narcissist, as some would say. He's a modern-day Zacchaeus. Esau McCullough, uh, as I quoted early, uh, earlier, assistant professor at, um, of New Testament at Wheaton College, wrote a piece this week for uh, the Washington Post, and in it he, he writes this about Kanye. Kanye West's bold declaration that he is leaving secular music for a more explicitly Christian approach has been the subject of much conversation and has left many Christians asking questions. Many are excited and suggest that Sunday services, these are the meetings, that con, con, these church services that Kanye West has been having, Sunday services and Jesus is King, his album, have the ability to draw in young people suspicious of Christianity. Others are skeptical about the sincerity of West's conversion. Some might be tempted to portray Kanye West as a kind of prodigal son, someone who has finally come home to the Christian faith, but Christians in particular should view him in the same way that we view ourselves. Kanye is a tax collector, and Jesus is king. We shouldn't expect someone new to this level of devotion to spark a sudden revival, as many do. We should not expect him to lead. We should instead give him space to learn, grow, be held accountable in community of faith that will ground him and prepare him for a lifetime of service. Now, I, I just read excerpts from this article. I, I, I suggest that you Google it and read it later. It's called Jesus is King and Kanye is a tax collector. But what he's saying, in essence, is we shouldn't be ordaining him quite yet, sending him out to plant a church, or knighting him as Christianity's next great hope. But we also shouldn't be shunning this brother. And I've watched the far ends of the spectrum on social media play out. Oh, Kanye is the man. Like, Christianity needs this. He's been invited to speak at large churches and play at conferences. And I'm just like, wait. Give time time. We've seen this before. But this may be sincere. And what we do is we pray for the brother, we pray that God would surround him, that God would use every ounce of his influence and his purpose and his destiny as a fantastic producer, as an influencer, whether you like him or not, that he would use every ounce of that to the glory of God so that more men and women, especially young people, will come to know God through him. That's our prayer. I'm not inviting him to preach yet. I'm not buying his books yet. I'm not getting on any celebrity trains because Christians are notoriously, you know, starstruck. I just see him hanging out in the tree waiting for Jesus to pass by. He seems to have had an encounter, and we'll just see how it plays out. But you don't know Kanye, but you know somebody in your world, in your life, who is up in a tree some of you, just you being here today, is you, you're in the tree. You didn't come here today with great expectations. You came with a need. You know something's not right. 
not satisfied in your life. Presumably there's more. And the great C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy, then I can only uh, conclude that I was not made for here. In other words, if nothing in this world can satisfy, if I can gain the whole world and still not be happy and still feel a whole, then maybe I was made for more than what this world can offer me. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Jesus has called you down under the tree and said, let me, let me come hang with you today. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? For, are you busy? Of course, when Jesus asks you if you're busy, you're not busy. You're not busy. So all of this happens. He has this encounter. And what's so meaningful about, it, so meaningful about this encounter is that Jesus, he knew his name. Right? And you do work in culture and you really start to value people like you value people. You really know that names are important. You know the names are important. Now, nobody was putting respect on Zacchaeus' name. He just was not that guy. And Jesus didn't say Zacchaeus with that inflection that you use when you don't like somebody or when you heard something about somebody or you don't care for somebody or somebody beneath you. Jesus put some respect on Zacchaeus' name and said, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, is somebody else here named Zacchaeus? That's my name. That's a strange name. That, that's a unique name. That's me. And if Jesus knew his name, perhaps he'd asked around or perhaps he divined it by the Spirit of God. No doubt Jesus knew at least a little bit of his story, at least the gists. The most remarkable thing about an encounter with Jesus is he knows your name, he knows your stuff, and still, and still he wants to come by your house And hang out with you. You just don't meet too many people like that anymore, do you? That's why family, when it's healthy, is so meaningful. Because they know all about you. And they're stuck with you still. That's why church family is so meaningful when it's healthy. Because they learn your deepest, darkest secrets. And they still let you come to their house. That's why this encounter was so meaningful. You say, preacher, how do you know it was meaningful? Well, that's my third and final thing. We see that Zacchaeus responds. He responds. He's got his failure. He's got his issue. He encounters the solution, right? He has his need met. But one of the ways you see that this is taking hold, when you see it in the lives of others, you see it in your own life, is that there is a response. Despised tax collector, doing his tax collector thing, hated by people, curious about Jesus, climbs a tree, meets Jesus, calls down, goes to Jesus' house, just hanging out with Jesus, and there is a response. Verse 8, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, a couple things surface in my mind as I engage with this. One, I'm looking for the missing verses because I, 
my Bible is missing the part where Jesus lectures him. I'm missing the verses where Jesus shames him. Or Jesus makes him feel small. Well, Jesus presses him to just make sure he's really sorry for all of this, right? I'm, I'm looking for that. I don't see it here. Maybe Luke was in a hurry and he left that part out. But the other part is just, I think that when you encounter the real Jesus, the Spirit of God arrests those places of your life that need to be arrested, I think change and transformation comes. And I've been to church my whole life. And I've seen the opposite ends of the spectrum where we feel like we have to twist people and wring them into shape and shame them and, and, and discipline them into shape. Now, yeah, we got to have conversations, and yeah, we got to talk to folks, and yeah, there's some discipling that happens, but I feel that the more the Spirit of God is at work, the more we lead with love and compassion and grace that the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting and gets the type of response that really shows the transformation has taken hold. He just stands before Jesus. He's just hanging out with Jesus, and he puts it together just like that. Listen, most people know they're a mess. Most people know they're living wrong. Most folks know about their own sexual sin and their uh, poor stewardship of their life. Most people are in touch with that. People don't need to be like beat up, beat over the head with their failures. What they need is an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus through us so that they can respond as Zacchaeus responds. I will give half my wealth to the poor. If I've cheated people on their taxes, and he had, I will give them back four times as much. Now, we could assume that Zacchaeus has considerable wealth. And what he's talking about parting with is half, just off the top, cut your net worth in half. And he's talking about repaying anybody he's cheated four times. Does that sound like reparations to you? Does that sound like adequate restitution to you? Does that sound like an adequate response to the slow work of God in his life? A response. This is why I said, don't jump on Kanye. Just sit back. Just sit back. Just sit back. Let's see what happens. Let's see how the next album, what, he, what the next album is. What his next tweet is like. But there's a response. And some of us have come to faith with no corresponding response. Some of us have had encounter after encounter after encounter with no corresponding response. And so my question to you as we behold Zacchaeus and his life is how might God be calling you to respond to his encounter? As he calls your name today, he calls you by name, comes, stands in your living room, what might he call you to respond to?
Who might you need to go to and make restitution? What might you have to cut out of your life? Or what might you have to arrange that is included now in your life? Who might you have to go and apologize to or confess to? What is the corresponding response? What is the fruit that you've had an encounter with Jesus? person who's turned your failure around, who's turned your losing around, how might you be called to respond to Jesus today? Hopefully, as we've walked through this today, worship team, you can come up as I close. You've been aware of your failure, particularly the, the, the specific ways that you have sold your soul for something less important than God's best for you. Hopefully you've been able to understand your need, which is Jesus, in a, in a meaningful encounter with him. But hopefully you're aware, soberly aware of how God might be calling you to respond to him. And so this isn't to make you feel guilt or shame, condemnation, quite the opposite. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. I'm here to tell you that there's still time on the clock. You still have time to turn it around, and an encounter with Jesus will do just that. But I'm also here to tell you that God requires a response from you. Who am I talking to today? What does that look like in your own personal life? How might we have eyes to see after today who might be in process, who might be in the tree, who might need to see and experience and encounter Jesus through us. Who might we need to give time to watch the slow work of God produce an appropriate response to an encounter? My prayer is that as we continue to worship today, that the Spirit of God will continue to speak and lead us where we should go. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you challenge us, but we also thank you for your mercy and your grace. That we all took the failure test today, the loser test. We, we're not losers. We might be losing. Still time on the clock, and you're on our team, and so we've read the end of the book. We win. Come, Holy Spirit. May we encounter you today. May we respond to you. May our hearts be soft to the Zacchaeus in our world. And may you do a healing work in our lives and in the lives of the folks around us. May we respond to you today. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said.